Hello, I'm Jay Davis, and welcome to The Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited to have uh, our guest today. His name is Steve Brown. He's the CEO of Nelson. Uh, and for the last couple of years, he's been leading a transformation of a business uh, that has an incredible history and in helping them transition into the digital age. So super excited to talk with you today, Steve. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, Jay. Great to be here. Do you want to give the listeners uh, a quick background, kind of quick bio on yourself? Sure. Uh, my name's Steve Brown. As you said, I'm the CEO here at Nelson. Uh, I started off, it's been an eclectic journey of leadership. I started off nearly 40 years ago in the automotive business. I ran a global automotive business, lived on three continents around the world in four or five different countries. And then about 16 years ago, I took over one of Canada's, Canada and the world's largest deliverers of media. So we started off, the company was called Sinram. We started off as a as a, an album presser. Then that moved into 8-track and on into cassettes. And then we ended up in the DVD, CD business. And then that transitioned into digital files. So the odds are if you were playing games, listening to music or watching movies anywhere in the world, that company delivered those media files in one format or another. So I did that successfully for eight to nine years, which was a tremendously exciting time running a global business in 30 countries with around 40,000 employees. Uh, we ended up selling that business, uh, much to the shareholders' excitement and, and positive returns. And then I was approached seven years ago by Nelson, Canada's largest and oldest educational publishing company, to come in and lead the transformation here at Nelson, uh, having known nothing about the educational uh, marketplace, never been involved in education, apart from obviously being educated. Um, but what I did know was about self-disruption, about um, the digital transformation. So after it took them a while to convince me to do it, but I, I eventually came on and I've had, enjoyed the last seven years greatly leading this uh, self-disruption and transformation. It's amazing. Did you move to Canada for the role? No, I actually moved from the States. I'd been living in the States for about 18 years. Uh, when I joined Sinram, Sinram was a Canadian public company on the okay. Toronto Stock Exchange. So I moved up for that and unbeknownst to me, sort of ingratiated myself with the shareholders and because they made a bunch of money and uh, some one of the shareholders was common and a large investment in Nelson. So they were really looking for strategic leadership because they had all the industry knowledge in, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of employees that we had of the educational community because we'd been, you know, the largest supplier to that market for well over a century. So they wanted somebody to come in to lead the disruption. And I think I can say I've done that pretty successfully. Yeah. Um, so been an enjoyable journey. That's incredible. One of the things I was excited to talk to you about, and this is something I, I think a lot of times in, in the world of business, especially entrepreneurship, um, uh, so much time is kind of spent on those, those early kind of startup days of like, how do you come up with an idea? And then I talk about this with a lot of friends who either own businesses or running businesses or executives now. And there's so much more, you know, there's so much. Uh, and one of the things I really want to ask you about is how would you approach, and now that you've done this many times, how do you approach bringing on someone to lead the company? 
that is not the founder or is or is new leadership and is going to transform things and change things. Um, how would you look at that from the perspective of someone who, you know, maybe saying, "Hey, maybe it's time for me to uh, bring on someone to help run this business." Uh, and then also, how would you approach that from the leader perspective of, as you go into these businesses, how do you start thinking about kind of building your legacy and where you want to take the business? It's a great question. Uh, you know, when you're talking about bringing people in who aren't founders, you, you've got to try and understand, one, what the, the problem or the opportunity is, and often those are the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and and two, depending on how long the founder's been around, how deep the culture is in a business and how relevant is that culture for the business where it is today, but more importantly, to where you want to take it. Because often there needs to be a cultural shift as well. You know, running a small startup uh, is very different than running a large company with thousands of employees or running a business going from a private sector to a public sector. So understanding what the destination is i always think is the first point and then you need to look for what the skill sets are to take you on that journey the one thing i know to be true is the journey's never going to be a straight line between a and b yeah so then you need to look at the skill set and as long as the destination's clear then you can find someone with the right skill set who obviously fits in with the dna that you've transplanted into a business so you don't want to try and you know, you can't turn a cat into a dog overnight. Yeah. But but if you're going to go on that journey, there has to be some like-mindedness. But the real strength comes in founders giving up the reins and stepping aside. I You know, I've, I've never believed, I've, I've worked in organizations where sometimes the, the former CEO might stay on the board or stick around to work with the new CEO. I actually think that's a huge mistake. Because the old guy is always going to be second guessing the new guy because that wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be how he did it. Yeah. So, to founders of businesses, I would say bite the bullet, be diligent in your hiring process, and then get the heck out of the way and let the new guy do his stuff. And yeah. if you're still a stockholder, you've always got the right to vote the stock and, and change people. Um, so, on that side, I would say that's how to do it. On the on the changing a business and, and how to do that, you've got to be 100% sure of what you want to do. So you can be sure where you're going and the variable is going to be the route that you take to get there because there's always bumps in the road. There are always barriers to entry. And a lot of those barriers to entry are often the legacy staff where, you know, they are doing things because that's the way it's always been done. But when you're going through transformation, the way it's been done historically has little to do with what you're trying to change a company's DNA to become. Yeah. So sometimes you, you, sometimes you have to change the staff and you have to do things, but you have to embrace discomfort because it will be discomfortable, uh, uncomfortable. And if you if you can embrace discomfort, then, you know, the, the bad days aren't that bad. It's just part of the journey and you can be focused on the destination. So you've got to be pretty dogged in knowing where you're going. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, I love that. I love embracing discomfort. I think that's one of the hardest things and letting go of some of those sacred cows and stuff, things you've just always 
done forever and no one really can even remember how you started doing a, a certain uh, you know initiative or task and and you got to start kind of thinking thinking through why why are we doing what we're doing and and like you said where right. are we headed what has most surprised you uh, or what is a maybe um, unconventional lesson you've learned uh, as you've as you've worked with businesses that you're trying to I mean Nelson is 110 years old is that what you said that's right 110 years old I mean amazing very long history very long culture a lot a lot of I mean they've been it's a big ship um, what are some right. of those su- surprising lessons you've you've learned along the way well I'll, I'll tell you a story that sort of set the tone I think it was probably my third day at the, at the business back in <laughs> 2016. I called uh, a town hall with all of our employees, either face-to-face uh, or online. And I told everybody that at that point we were 103. And there was a an atmosphere in the company that we were the biggest and the oldest, the most established Anybody who'd been educated at all in Canada and in many countries around the world had been educated on Nelson materials. And I told them that just the fact we were 103 years old didn't give us a rite of passage. A lot of people and a lot of companies die at 100 years old. So I said, if I was you, I don't know where you are in your lives individually and financially, but I wouldn't take on any more debt because I'm going to shake this thing up. I am going to earn us our right of passage to the next century and not draw on the fact that we've been around 100 years because that doesn't give us a right of passage. We have to earn our place in a marketplace globally every single day. And those of you who are looking at me right now saying this guy knows nothing about education, he's just coming into the marketplace and he's going to tell us that he's going to self-disrupt ourselves and self-disrupt the market, a lot of people thought I was... If you'll excuse the expression, back crazy. And I said, if that's how you feel and you don't think you can get on board, you should leave today. And if you're not going to leave today, you should actually start planning to leave to make that transition. Because I don't want your respect, but I do ask that you allow me to earn your respect. So don't be disrespectful. You may not appreciate the changes I'm going to make and the the plans that I'm telling you I'm going to do, but allow me to earn that respect. And those of you who get on board with me, we'll have a great journey together. I promise you it will be exciting. There'll be good days and bad days. But those of you who just think that the market isn't broken and it doesn't need to change, I can give you 50 other examples of companies who had legacy businesses who were disrupted from outside. And I'm saying it would be much better to maintain our position and disrupt from within with a reputation, with huge market share and with great legacy and go through reinvention. I said, you see us as a historical, educational textbook company. And that's really, to me, when you you core value that right the way down to its essence, it means we're a content business. We never owned a paper mill, so why are you so caught up in the fact that we, the delivery mechanism has to be paper when it could be digital? So yeah. we're still a content company. We just changed the delivery mechanism. So that got a lot of people scratching their heads and thinking, but we've been able to do it. So 
Too bad you weren't at Blockbuster <laughs> back in the day. I think that's I, a good I could actually tell you a story about that. I would love to so, hear it. Sinram used to produce somewhere in... So when you think about DVD at its height yeah. in um, the the late early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s was really when it was at its height. And at the time, Blockbuster as a, as a, a, a delivery channel for the movie studios, Sinram used to make VHS tapes. Yeah. We used to make billions of them in every country around the world. What Blockbuster didn't do was understand what was going to come. What was, what was the horizon that was looming? They thought they owned the market, much like BlackBerry did with the phone market, where if you stand still and you think you are the market rather than being the consumer being the market, the consumer decides how they want to consume things. And that could be wine, beer, water, entertainment, knowledge. So you have to see what the consumer trends are, because if your consumer doesn't like the mechanism of delivery, then ultimately you're going to go away. Yeah. And, and that's what Reed Hastings did so well at Netflix. He started off as a, as a DVD by mail company. But what he was doing at that point was he was getting that umbilical link to the consumer and then he could switch it to online when infrastructure came, with an over with a, an OTT delivery mechanism, you know th that we do today that everybody's so used to. But that comes down again to leadership, and if if you can't embrace the discomfort of the landscape that I live in today is going to go away, then you're going to go away with it, and and that's the lesson really. Never be satisfied every day, no matter how well you're doing. You've always got to look to how you can do better and how you can be relevant to your marketplace. And that's the leadership of it all. That's what leadership's all about. Sometimes you lead a retreat, not just the attack. Yeah. I love it. I, I think that is such great advice. So what uh, what were some of the results of the, the town hall? What was some um, of the changes? At the time, I had seven direct reports at an executive level uh, within two years. None of them were with the company. Yeah. Um, all by my choice. There was a lot of, they were, they were great executives with amazing skill sets, but they had the skill sets for the past, not necessarily the future. Yeah. Um, a couple of them tried to make the transition. As I said, great people, great professionals, nothing but love and respect for them. But I needed different skill sets and attributes from what we were going to do. And the fact that we were going to be pioneers in the marketplace meant there wasn't a playbook. Yeah. So we we had to we had to um, imagineer a future that didn't exist, and then have the 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 belief in the strategy to create the landscape that we were going to fit into, not fit into the landscape that was already there. So there was a you know the one thing that I did get absolutely wrong was I thought I could get to where we've got to now in seven years in four. But education moves slowly, right? It's yeah. It's it's a Socratic market. It's been around for 600, 800,000 years. <laughs> yeah. So having the, the self-belief or, depending on how you look at it, the arrogance to think you can change a Socratic marketplace in three to four years was probably a bit bold. 
but we're pretty much there in seven. So it wasn't exactly a failure. Yeah. Well, I, I'm. I, if you would have set it at seven, it probably would have taken ten. So that's well, usually of, how it goes. One of we uh, we have a, a tech office out in Los Angeles, and uh, I took my my executive team, which is now four rather than the seven, uh, much more multidisciplinary. We went out to Los Angeles to sit down with our tech team, take them out for the, the our holiday dinner, rather than bring them all into Toronto. And we were having uh, dinner and having a couple of drinks, and I was lamenting about my inability to hit my own timelines and failing when one of our absolutely smartest tech guys said, but Steve, we had a global pandemic in the middle of that, which really closed down our marketplace for about two to two and a half years. So arguably you're only six <laughs> months off. Yeah. That made me feel a lot better, but I was also on my second martini and that could have played a part <laughs> in it. That might've helped. No, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I've been reading the Elon Musk uh, yeah. biography and uh, like a lot of people in, in the business world. Uh, and I think that's one of the lessons I've taken is sometimes setting those very aggressive goals. Um, you know, how many times in the book, different employees said, you know, none of us believed him. We thought he was crazy, but we ended up yeah. doing almost exactly a couple of times we were, you know, he said five weeks, we did it in five and a half. He said, you know, six months, we did it in seven. But we all originally were like, ah, we can't do it in six months. It'll take four years. And he's like, nope, you got six months. So you got to figure it oh. out. And it's it's uh, amazing how, as a leader, you do have to know when you need to push people and, and drive them to an audacious goal. So, Yeah, and when, when people see the unachievable being achieved, yeah. next time you come up with a crazy idea or you set a crazy timeline or you... You talk about delivering an attribute within a product that's never been done. Um, I always use the example that, you know, if Steve Jobs would have listened to the, the, the cell phone market about the functionality that was needed in the iPhone, they would have ended up with a phone that already existed. Yeah. But for him to roll out a product to create that marketplace and create that, you know, that environment for changing totally a marketplace, you have to have self-belief and you, you've, you've got to move and you've got to push people. But when you've done it once and you've done it twice, people actually do start to believe. And then you see the creativity growing within your organization. And yeah. that, that's the most rewarding thing as a leader to see. It's incredible. I love that. I'm, I'm busy over here writing down quotes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to be quoting Steve a lot in the next couple of weeks. Um, what... Have you learned about, and, and I'm sure you've uh, you've learned so many things over your career, um, but I think one of the things that I've learned running Pillow Cube and building Pillow Cube um, is how often you go to the kind of cliche things. You know, you, you start really thinking about in the early days of a startup, it's kind of like, oh, who who can help? And you're pretty uh, pretty willy nilly about like, oh, that person, this person. Um, but as time goes on, you start saying, okay, let's create a process of hiring. People are people are the, our biggest asset. Let's act like it. So what have you learned and what can you teach us about how to hire fantastic people? Uh, and maybe even some examples where you maybe broke your process and, and suffered because of it, or you followed the process and it worked. Uh, the 
the overriding one with me is go with your gut. Okay. The, I once hired a CFO for a large business I was running, and I decided to involve my whole executive team in the process. And it got to, we, we asked him, we gave him some financial stuff to look at and asked him to solve a hypothetical problem, present it to my executive team, of which he was going to be part of. And he resoundingly got everybody's support. I think it was five or six people. Um, and everyone said, yep, this is the guy. His name was Bill. Um, and the, the day that I was making the decision, when Bill had left the room and I spoke to my team and everybody said, yeah, I think he's just what we need. I had a feeling in my gut that he was the wrong guy. Second, second most senior officer in the company after me, the chief financial officer. And I had in my gut that it wasn't the right fit. And I, because I, because I'd for the first time broadened up the whole process to the whole team and let, you know, consensus rule the day, I went with my team. He lasted six months. Yeah. Um, another time a guy who's on my team again now has actually worked for me in three different companies in three different industries. I, um, heard a story from his father that when he went up to McGill University in Montreal, in in, uh, in Ontario, you can drink at 19, as opposed to the States where it's 21. Yep. In Quebec, you, you can drink at 18. So he went up for his interview at McGill University, and his parents went with him because they'd got to know a dean at McGill, which is like the Harvard of Canada. Yep. And they, they had a, a sit-down dinner, and this guy was with his parents for dinner. And... About nine o'clock, the dinner was drawing to an end and his mother and father and this dean was chatting and they were staying overnight in Montreal and then they were driving back actually to Detroit. Um, and Ben said, you know, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's been great spending a few hours with you. Would you mind if I ducked out now? I'd like to go and visit some friends who are in Montreal, of which there were none. So, but he decided at 18, he could go out. And Montreal's a fun town. And he went out, got back at the hotel four o'clock in the morning Drunk as a lord, but had a great time. Woke up the next morning and his parents said, what did you do? And his dad's telling me this story. <laughs> and he went out, a couple of bars, to a nightclub, had a great time, broke no laws, came back. And it stuck. And I said to his father, when Ben graduates, have him give me a call. Because if you've got a kid who's got the, the gumption to go out on his own in a city that he doesn't know, that's predominantly French speaking, and do that to, to grasp life and the opportunity, I want to meet him. Yeah. He, he graduated from McGill. He drove back home to Detroit. Before he actually went home, he stopped at, um, I can't remember the name of the store, and bought himself a cheap suit. But the trousers were too long, so he stapled the bottoms up. Kate and he called me and said, the traffic was really bad. I'm not going to be there till 6. It was a Friday night. I said, I'm still going to be in my office. He came to my office. I talked to him about the fundamentals of leadership and what I needed him to do. And I moved him. I hired him that night and moved him to China. And he's worked for me for the last 23 years. It's incredible. Because of the story his dad told me about his personality. Yeah. Now, he's a great person. He's a smart guy. He was well-educated, but it was his personality of inquisitiveness and adventure that made me think, 
this kid's going to have it. And I've mentored him for 23 years and he's an astounding global executive now. Yeah. It's amazing. So they're both a little unorthodox, but go with your gut. And if you see something, if you see, you can get the most educated people in the world who have no ability to problem solve, to think creatively, to do the things that you're going to need them to do. But if you meet somebody and you see that spark, mentor them and turn them into great leaders it's incredible i love it that's a that's great advice i, th I think there's so many times uh where i've talked to talked to people and i've had those experiences myself where i've had that gut feeling of either this is the guy or this is you know not yep. the not the guy or girl and and you kind of uh it, when you when you ignore it Every time it's like, man, I knew it. I knew it that day uh, and I didn't pay attention. So that's a, such a great reminder. So, yeah, I love it. Well, anything, uh, time has, has flown by as it always does when it's it's a great interview. Uh, anything you'd like to share or, or ask the listeners to do uh, or just any other parting words of wisdom? Yeah, I, I would always say have self-belief. Choose your destination, your destination and the timeline, uh, you know, maybe further out, as I said, in my experience. But if you choose the destination and you have belief you're going to get there, I tell my team all the time, you can, with enough belief, dedication and focus, create your own reality. And as long as you believe that you can create something that's never been created before, whether that's a service or a product or whatever it may be, you can change the world. And goodness only knows if a numbskull like me can do it. I'm sure men of your bright listeners can do a lot better than I've done. So that's no, what I'd it's, say. It's such great advice. I, I think that that's uh, the, the, one of the biggest challenges for people uh, where they get in their own way is they, they just, they think that the people accomplishing these big goals and launching companies have some special characteristic or knowledge that they just don't have. And it's like, it's really right. just a belief that they can do it. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's really no difference. Uh, as I've met so many executives as we've built uh, our company, every single time they're, they're really smart, they're curious, and they have unique characteristics, but they're still people. Wow. I mean, the smartest ones I've ever met, still human beings. It's, you know, su surround yourself with smart people. I always say that all the time. Yeah. I surround myself with smarter people than me in every walk of my professional career and my personal life. That being said, you know, when you're me, that's not that difficult. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you do that and they buy into your vision and your belief and you have empathy for their individual day, week, month or year, that you're there to support them beyond the journey that they're on with you, they'll they'll run through a wall for you. And if they believe and you create your own reality, you can change the world. Love it. Great, great parting words of wisdom. Thank you again for coming on and uh, teaching us and letting, letting us learn from your experience. It really was a pleasure. It's been my pleasure, Jay. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you.